Now on Radio Italia Uno, it's time to change the world with Matt McQuinley. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. We focus on changing the world for the better by taking personal responsibility, canceling cancel culture, discussing and listening to each other on topics like leadership, cultural trends, business, history, and more. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello and welcome to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We have a fabulous guest today, Chris Burns, CEO of Hutt Street Center and 32-year veteran of the ADF. As you know, our focus on the show is to do our best to help change the world for the better. Chris has is focused on this and is doing that in people's lives right now. Chris Burns and Hutt Street Center are aligned with our focus on this show completely and, as I said, making a big difference in people's lives as we speak. Hi, Chris. How are you doing today? Good, mate. How are you? Great, great. How was your Christmas and New Year's? Um, it was really busy. Uh, we had uh, lots of clients coming through, and uh, you tend to find that in the warm weather. But we, we did have a fantastic Christmas day. We had uh, lots of clients, you know, over 100 clients come in and have a traditional Christmas lunch, which was great. Wow. Well, welcome again to the show. If you could please tell us a little bit about your journey and and uh, how you... Uh, got involved in because sure. my understanding is you're a 32 year vet of the ADF and and how did you get involved yeah. in Hutt Street Center? Yep, yeah, sure, Matt. Um, well, as you said, yeah, 32 years in the army. I uh, uh, I, I was a, a student at Balaclava High, and uh, the, the army recruiters came around, and I thought um, joining the army sounded like a good thing, so I, I joined the army as a uh, apprentice electrician. Uh, did my apprenticeship and uh, got picked up to do officer training and then went off and um, got the, the great honour of being selected to go to the Armoured Corps and uh, spent most of my career in, in tanks and armoured vehicles um, and ended up finishing up as the uh, in the Philippines with the embassy there. So, but, but through it all, I saw a lot, uh, experienced a lot and... Uh, for a lot of my uh, my friends and colleagues, and um, you know, who had some bad experiences, and um, I came came to realise that we needed to care for them because that they had given a lot, and their families had given a lot. So as I, as I neared the the end of my time in, in the military, I, I started uh, committing my time to. How do, I, how do I look after our veterans? And more importantly, how do I look after our veterans' families? And, um, became involved in an organisation by the name of Legacy, uh, looks at, who looks after the families of, of veterans. Um, so I um, became very focused on you know, how, how do we care for those, those families that are, have experienced hardship because of the careers of, of their uh, fathers and, and husbands. And so there was a the theme there throughout was how do we care for our veterans. Um, and when I left the military, I went into the defence industry, which was almost a natural progression, natural synergy there, um, and uh, ended up becoming the CEO of uh, the Defence Training Centre in Adelaide, uh, which is the Defence Industry um, Association. Um, and 
which uh, was about being an advocate for defence industry, supporting them um, to get contracts and deals. And I, I guess the highlight of my time with with the defence industry was I um, led a campaign to to get ships and submarines built in Australia uh, rather than see those very lucrative contracts go offshore uh, when we needed to have them here and um, ran a two-year campaign uh, which actually uh, was called Australian Made Defence which is actually quite successful and we were at the cusp of uh, seeing our submarines built in Japan and our ships built overseas in, in Europe and the US. Um, and we actually convinced the government that the smarter thing was to, as an island nation, uh, to have the sovereign capability to build our defence maritime assets here in Australia. Um, uh, and in running that campaign, um, uh, you, you make some friends and you make some enemies in life and to, to, to make an omelette, you've got to crack some eggs. So it was probably time for me to leave defence industry um, when we've had that success. And I was looking around at uh, the twilight years of my career, what I wanted to do, and I, I got back to what I cared about, which was how do I how do I support those that haven't enjoyed the life that I have, and how the how do we support the most vulnerable uh, members of the community, and, and the opportunity to to step into the Hutt Street Centre arose, um, which I jumped at because it, um, it was the opportunity to, to help people who, who really need a lot of help, and um, that's how I ended up where I am, man. Wow. Sounds like the common theme in your life has been one of service, so my hat's off to you on that. I mean, I, I, really, uh, I really want to just say that on the air and hopefully uh, let you know that that's heartfelt. Um, oh. And that's what we are. You know, it should be about service. It, it should be about helping each other. And gee, at, at the moment, isn't it? Isn't it the time to be helping each other? Mm. You know, there's a lot of a lot of anxiety out there and a lot of tension. And uh, we just need to help each other through what we're going through at the moment. Uh, and each of us can do. We should be doing. I know this isn't. Uh have anything necessarily directly to do with Hutt Street, but I'd like to go on a small tangent because if your military background and and your initial uh, you know drive inner drive to help out vets and families of vets, uh, I know that in the United States there's an epidemic of suicide uh, in, in veterans uh, in the United States. I mean we lose about twenty people a day. Uh, to suicide uh, that are veterans in America. And I know that I, the last number I saw was 14% of suicides in the United States are veterans, whereas only 1% of people have actually served in the armed forces. Uh, have you seen uh, anything like that epidemic in Australia? And, is, and, and, you know, can you comment on things that have been done in that regard? Yeah, um so, in, in the in the game of, uh, of of the career, I I also spent also spent three and a half years as our mental health commissioner here in South Australia, the, the inaugural mental health commissioner, and I came to have a, a very acute understanding of suicide. And um, yeah, 
uh, I, I know what's happening in the veterans community, and uh, um, you know, I, I've seen what our veterans have been exposed to, and um, what they see and what they experience is is, is uh, quite traumatic, and um, it's it's something that once you've seen it, it's never unseen. And dealing with that trauma is particularly hard uh, and difficult. And uh, we just need to we need to work out how we support people um, through managing that trauma and, and managing that trauma through the longer term of their life. And um, there's there's this whole thing around mental health, where when we talk about mental health, we we actually talk about everything's about mental illness. It's about the illness when in fact we should be looking at how do we improve people people's mental health, how do we uh, prevent people become mentally unwell rather than, um, and the analogy I've used is uh, our approach to, to mental health is that we have the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, we wait for someone to become unwell before mm. we support them. When we should actually be looking at how do we, how do we support them before... Uh, whilst they're at the top of the cliff, how do we build that fence at the top of the cliff? Um, and so I don't believe, and this, this is part of my whole experience of supporting veterans, is um, how, how do we support our veterans? How do we support our veterans and their families? Um, and it's as much about how do we help the families to help their, their, their partners and their, their fathers and through the trauma and re-experiencing the trauma, so... Um, I don't think the, the Australian veterans community is, is any different to any other veterans community, but I think we need to be um, taking that approach of prevention and early intervention and not waiting for that ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Wow, that's a, that's a wonderful analogy. Well, a wonderful analogy for a terrible subject. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, Ben Franklin said that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and it uh, sounds like that's really the philosophy that uh, you have and, and, and we should have. Um, it, have you seen, uh, in the small amount of time we have before a break here, have you seen uh, movements in that direction? Are we heading in the right direction right now in Australia? Um, I, Matt, in all honesty, I don't think so because I don't. Um, we, we take mental health as a, as a clinical issue, and if you take it as a solely clinical issue, you only deal with it from a clinical perspective. Um, what we need to do is is say, how do we build resilience in people? And when you think that that fifty percent of all mental illness onsets before the age of 14, 75% of all mental illness onsets before the age of 24. Wow. That should steer you to, well, we've got to build that resilience before they're 14. And that's about um, how, how do we how do we educate kids about resilience? How do we support them when they're in school? Um, how do we build stronger family units and stronger communities? Um, that support each other because it, it, it's not something that can be done in a hospital or, or in a clinical environment. It's got to be something that's done before you get to that point of, of a, a clinical intervention. And I, I think we just need to take the, the national psyche and the community psyche to 
we, we can prevent this, we can intervene early. Let's take that approach um, and work out how do we help kids when they're young to make sure that they never get to that point where they sustain a, a mental injury. Wow, that's that's powerful information. I, I I wasn't aware of that. I mean, that most mental illness uh, yeah. manifests before the age of fourteen. As a father, yeah. I, wow, that that's that's powerful stuff. Well, and, it's between that age of eight and fourteen where yeah. um, the brain has matured. You know, so ninety percent of brain development occurs in the first five years of life. But it's that point at the age of eight where you start transitioning from the, the childish thought process to a maturing thought process, not, a, not an adult thought process. Mm. Um, and that's when you recognise things like grief, trauma, um, and it's that point where we need to be educating how to, how to deal with trauma and that life is never going to be a better road, but this is how you deal with situation. And that's things like... Um, you know, teaching resilience and mindfulness in schools and um, you know, educating our kids that, that, that life isn't always going to be great, but here's how you deal with life's issues. Wow. More keen insights. It's, we're coming up here on 616, and we're going to be back in just a few minutes with Chris Burns, CEO of Hut Street. la tua attività? Vuoi aumentare il tuo volume di affari? Non sai a chi rivolgerti? Chiama Radio Italia 1. Il nostro staff commerciale è a disposizione per ogni informazione o preventivo personalizzato. Chiama all'82 123177. Radio Italia 1. E anche tu sarai un numero uno. Due ore con Antonio Dottore programma di attualità, approfondimento, interviste di politica, economia, scienze, arte, ogni venerdì dalle 15 alle 17. Looking for a new coffee machine for your home or workplace? Look no further than Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your experts in all things coffee. Why not come in for a chat and a special coffee tasting? You'll find us at 264 Gilbert Street in the city. Mention Radio Italia Uno and you will receive a free 250-gram bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. You can also shop online at www.fccoffee.com.au where you'll find our large range of premium roasted coffee beans, coffee machines, accessories, hot chocolates, teas and lots, lots more. I'm Danielle from Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your one-stop shop for all things caffeine. Radio Italia Uno You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, we're back with Chris Burns uh, from Hutt Street Center, and we were having a fascinating conversation that I'm learning a lot of stuff on. Uh, in our last session, we talked a little bit about uh, the importance of uh, stronger family units, um, and we just kind of glossed over that point real quick and into mental health and, and, and to society as a whole. And I just, if you could expand your thoughts on that a little bit, Chris, I'd really appreciate it because I thought it was an important point. Certainly. Um, it is about that, having that connection with family um, and having a community around you. And that relates directly to what we do with, at Hutt Street Centre in terms of homelessness. 
um, if you don't have a community and if you don't have a close-knit family around you, um, your mental health will suffer and you'll become disassociated uh, and that leads you down a pathway where you, you become vulnerable. Um, and so the, it's about how do we create a stronger community where everyone has a role to play and where family is at the very, very core and start of everything we do um, and building the strength of families uh, to support each other, uh, particularly to support the young ones. So that, that was the point is you know, how do we make sure that we have strong family units so that our kids um, don't experience trauma and, and they grow up strong and good members of our community. Mm. Wow. Well, we're, we're 23 minutes into the show and I haven't got to the probably one of the first questions I should have asked is, can you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about Hutch Street Center for those of, that, of them that might not know, and uh, as it's pretty uh, famous in Adelaide, but and, uh, and what it does, what its mission is, and, and how it accomplishes that. Sure. Um, so, so, our vision, um, so our vision, I should say from the start, uh, is an end to homelessness. Um, but our mission is is to walk with people and advocate for people who are at risk of or experiencing homelessness uh, along that journey and on their pathway from what we could say from homelessness to homefulness. Now, that's a word we made up, so um, don't Google it. Um, but for us, the concept of homefulness says that, that, that a, a building, a house, is just a, a construction, it's just infrastructure. It's not a home. It only becomes a home when, when you want to call it a home and you will only call the house your home if you have a community around you, um, if you are connected with your family, uh, if you feel that you're contributing to society, um, that you, you have employment that allows you to contribute or you're volunteering... Um, it's it's a whole ecosystem. It's not just living under a roof. And so what we do at Hutt Street Centre is, is we take a person from the first time they walk through our door, what they probably need is a warm meal, um, a shower and a change of clothes. Um, and and we, we provide that. Um, and then we start that journey. And, and our presumption is uh, anyone who walks through our door doesn't have 100 points of personal identification. Now, all of us could open our wallets, purses, and what have you, and pull out a driver's licence, a Medicare card, a credit card, and prove who we are. Um, that's not such the case with our clients at our Hutt Street Centre. So we start that whole process of um, you know, how do we triage them right from the start, how do we work towards getting them the identification so that they then gain their entitlements. Um, how do we get them into our nurse uh, to see our doctor, maybe to see a financial advisor or a legal advisor? Um, how do we get them to have a haircut or see a podiatrist? So we provide over 20 visiting services, uh, people for the most part who give their time freely and, and voluntarily to help people uh, on the start of that journey uh, from being 
one point in their life where they're homeless. And I think the strongest point I can make is all of us, every one of us, is probably one bad decision away from being homeless. Mm. It, it can happen, and it does happen to every every uh, person. And it's just just one sad decision that that leads down that pathway. And then what we have to do is what we want to do, and what we try to do is 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 walk next to that person on that journey as I say, from homelessness to homefulness. Wow. There, there's a lot there to unpack. And, yeah, and, and, and I'm really intrigued by a couple things you said. First of all, I really find it uh, interesting that you, in a positive way, that you refer to people that you help at, uh, in Hutt Street Center as clients mm. instead of some other term. So, you know, a lawyer has clients, an accountant has clients. So, obviously, there's a lot of respect there for the individual. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so I just think that's awesome. Um, yeah. I don't know. Can you expand on that philosophy for us a little bit? Uh, well, the philosophy is that we're there to serve them. Mm. Um, they have a need. Uh, they have a demand that we are there uh, to serve them and to support them on their journey. Um, to address whatever it is that caused them to be in the situation that they're in. Mm. Um, so, and, and it's the whole thing is that journey is that we walk side by side with them. We don't tell them what to do. Um, you know, we, we don't insist that they do this or that. Uh, we just guide them, uh, help them, assist them uh, on that journey because it's got to be their journey, not ours. Wow. Um, they've got to... They've got to be comfortable. And, and some people take some time mm. before they're ready to go down that journey. Um, they, they may, may be under influence of, of you know, all sorts of things and all sorts of reasons why they're not ready to go on a journey. Well, we just, we just stay beside them and say, okay, well, you're not ready now, but that's fine. Just come back every day and, and have something to eat, um, have a shower, uh, you know, get a fresh set of clothes, and we'll, when you're ready, we'll, we'll go down the next step of the journey. But it's got to be their journey, not our journey. Wow. I, I, it's, it's really uh, fascinating. Well, not maybe fascinating, but fascinating in a good way, in a positive way, the attitude that Hutt Street Center takes. I mean, basically what I heard you say is from the get-go, from the second they walk in the door, uh, you're trying to make them feel worthy again by giving them a shower, a hot meal, cleaning them up, getting yep. them in the right mind frame, and yep. uh, that Absolutely. just that just sounds sounds great. I mean, and and I really am intrigued by on your website where it talks about uh, homelessness can and does happen to anyone. Um, I'm reminded of something my pa- and I don't. I'm going into much of a soliloquy here, so I'll keep it brief. But I'm reminded of something my pastor told me once. He said, Matt. We luckily for us, we don't get what we deserve, or we'd all be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. I think I think that that's the attitude Hut Street. Ha- if you could speak to that, it seems like that's the attitude Hut Street has, where they understand that, hey, this could be me, and uh, this person is worthy of my attention and my help. What can I do to help them get to where they, not I, want them to be? Uh, absolutely, and that's. That's the way it is, and, and um, you, you never know, you never really know the full circumstances behind why a person walks through that door, and 
Um, and, and I've been there and I've watched people walk up and down the other side of the street before they finally make that step to come across the road and, and uh, there's, a, there's a reticence. They don't want to come in because that's an admission of defeat. Mm. Um, and I hate, I'd hate, you think about it, I'd hate to be in that position too. We all would. Mm. But it's circumstance. Things, things happen in life that we, you know, sometimes we control, sometimes we don't. But whatever, you, you're at that point in your life, you're extremely vulnerable. Um, that's when we as a community have to wrap around them and support them. Um, and, you know, we've, we've had CEOs of, of big companies uh, come through our doors uh, and, and people who have been socialites and part of high society and everything, but for, for, for whatever reason, um, they've come through our door. We don't judge them. Um, there's no judgment at Hutt Street Centre. Um, we just want to help them uh, on that journey out of homelessness or the predicament they're in um, back to a situation where they're reunited and they're back to being part of our community. Wow. Well, some great and fabulous insights. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about uh, your th- philosophy and thinking and, and sure. even more importantly, Hutt Street Centre and what it's doing. So sure. we'll be back in just a little bit. How good is Mighty Joe's? They're brilliant. Mighty Joe's is the largest fruit market in South Australia. They handle all Italian small goods. And a family business. Yeah, that's right. Four decades. Joe and Francesco, they're proud to present fresh produce from local growers and local produce markets, passing massive savings on to you. And their service is so friendly. Tell me about the opening hours. Absolutely. They're open 7 until 7, Monday to Friday, and 7 until 5, Saturday and Sundays. And they have weekly bargains and specials, like nuts and fruit and veg, cold meats, pastas, and plenty more. And they've got a new shop. They certainly have. Mighty Joe's are now at 115 Findon Road, Woodville. Check their Facebook page, Mighty Joe's Fruit Market. I need some fruit and veg. I'm heading down right now. I'll come down with you. Bed sale on right now at Save-A-Lot Beds. Lowest prices in Adelaide. Save hundreds or even thousands. New orthopedic beds in Queen or Double for only $4.49. Australian-made Queen or Double mattresses for only $1.99. King-size pillow-top mattresses for only $4.99. Get the good night's sleep you deserve. Save-A-Lot Beds sale is on right now at 634 Port Road in Beverly. Don't miss out. Get down to Save-A-Lot Beds at 634 Port Road, Beverly for the massive double queen king size sale. Ciao, siamo Egerisse e torna Locali Tour d'Autore per farvi ancora compagnia. Ogni martedì alle ore 9 incontreremo artisti, cantanti, musicisti, cuochi e insegnanti creativi su questa fantastica radio. Su Radio Italia 1 87.6 FM Adelaide. Ora più che mai l'assistenza che le famiglie conoscono e di cui si fidano è qui per te. A bene. 
Con i nostri servizi di assistenza domiciliare, i tuoi cari diventano nostri. Offriamo servizi di supporto sociale e assistenza per fare la spesa ed Andrea si è sentito completamente a suo agio. Il personale è stato fantastico fornendomi supporto sociale a casa. Bene, fornisce servizi per mantenere uno stile di vita attivo e di benessere, assistenza domiciliare o residenziale agli anziani, con rispetto e calore, con bene. Sei in famiglia. Chiamaci all'81 31 2000 o visitaci su bene.org.au. Foodland's proudly owned by South Australian families like mine. Our stores are our second home. And just like home, we want you to feel safe and looked after when you visit. Thankfully, our customers have always acted like mighty South Aussies when shopping with us. Which, by the way, supports all the local family-owned brands who produce the essentials you find on our shelves. Great families, great locals and great food lives here. Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM. Hello, we're back with Chris Burns, CEO of Hut Street Center. And in the last session, we, uh, Chris was talking about how he's had CEOs and, and, you know, socialites and all different people from all different walks of life that he's had to help out with Hut Street Center. And, uh, Chris, I'm just going to take a minute if you'll indulge me here because I, you reminded me of something. I want to underscore your point that everybody should be treated the same, and, and you talk about how you don't judge people. And it reminded me of an interview I saw on 60 Minutes many, many, many years ago, and it was about the guy who was the U.N. commander in, of, the, of the forces in Rwanda during the Rwandan genocide, and he was forced not to intercede. And this fellow ended up he was his next posting was supposed to be whatever the equivalent is of the chairman of the joint chiefs in Canada and they ended up finding him he ended up almost going comatose from uh drug drugs and and because of depression and PTSD and watching 250,000 people get slaughtered and doing nothing when he had the ability to do something and uh, he ended up, they ended up finding him, you know, he disappeared and they found him on a park bench somewhere sleeping under newspapers and, and he was just a wreck. And somebody was kind enough that they brought him in, they took care of him, they got him back on his feet and then he ended up uh, key to this organization that uh, battles child labor and child sur- soldiers around the world and now he's in the Canadian Senate, or was in the Canadian Senate, I don't know if he still yeah. is. And I just, if you could talk, pound home that point a little bit better here for us, yeah. because there's so many people out there that say, you know, oh, they're homeless because they want to be, you know, uh, that kind of thing. So if you could talk a little bit about that, uh, yeah. I, I would appreciate it a ton. Certainly, Matt. Well, and you're exactly right. I'd firstly make the point I've not met one client who wants to be homeless. Um, I don't think anyone ever wants to be homeless. It's such a, a cold, um, isolating, uh, lonely environment. Um, you know, I, I challenge anyone to go and spend a couple of nights uh, rough sleeping on the street and you'll soon realise no one wants to be homeless. But it's, it's, a, it's about a consequence of events. And you know, this goes back to our discussion earlier about veterans. Is You can't judge people 
you know, they, they see trauma, um, and it's like the commander of in Rwanda, you see trauma and you, know, you become involved in things that you don't have full control over, uh, and then you're part of that trauma, and then that's going to live with you forever, and that's going to have a mental health impact. Um, it, it causes people to do things that they wouldn't normally do. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in our case, frequently, um, uh, that, you know, often involves drugs and, and alcohol. And once drugs and alcohol become involved, then it's a whole different story that you have to deal with. So we can never predict or fully control our future. Um, and that's why we can't be judgmental of those who, who are experiencing uh, homelessness because um, they never wanted to be in that circumstance um, and they probably don't want to be there but because of the, the circumstances that they've experienced. They are where they are and it's our job as a community to say, how do, how do we help you out of this? How do I walk side by side with you? I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but how do I walk with you and guide you um, and find the support you need uh, for your specific case? Because the one thing I've learned is every client is different. They each have their own reasons and needs and pathway going forward. And you just you have to work that out with them so that it's their choice and their journey that they're going to go down when they're ready to do it. And, um, you just cannot sit there and judge them. Um, and that's as simple as when you sit down and you say, you never ask the question, what went wrong? Um, you always ask the question, how, how did we get to this point? Let's let's work it out and, and work it through because it, it's got to be expressed in a positive sense and say, right, how are we going to start this journey of recovery that, that's going to get you out of where the predicament you're in at the moment? Can you please talk a little bit more, Chris, about what Hut Street Center does besides uh, help the physical needs of the person? Because uh, you kind of just alluded to that in your in your yeah. last comments. So, we, do they have we like, structured to... counseling, or what? Do, what do they do? Yes, yeah, certainly we do, we do, and uh, we have case management services, um, and, and that's part of the whole journey. Is we want to take people. When they're ready uh, for case management, we guide them to that case management and they get assigned a case manager. Um, and it depends on the, the complexity of, of their circumstance. Um, some people, you, clients, you can, you can support and get them back on their pathway very, very quickly. Some require a lot of supports, different supports. And so, a case manager will sit down with them and say, well, how do we help you to reunite with your family? How do we help you to, to gain employment again? How do we help you to get the basic, you know, 100 points of identification? Uh, how do we get you into a combination that you want and that suits you? And uh, that requires some quite complex case management. So... We go down that pathway and we work with other agencies. Um, a lot of people require that, that support from a drug and alcohol perspective. Um, it, it's all a whole lot of destinations on a long journey um, that you just walk with them 
and achieve what that word I used at the start, the homefulness. Um, and that's what, as I said, that's our, that's our mission is how do we get them to homefulness and how do we walk with them on that journey. Um, and in our case, uh, we, we provide case management for some clients for up to three years. Um, it takes that long often um, to get people reunited with their families and connected to a community and uh, living in an accommodation that, that they're comfortable to call home. Um, and so some journeys are, are quite short and some are quite long. But we we do that at Hutt Street. That's what we're about is you know, we're there beside the person for as long as the journey takes. Wow, it's uh, great for people to have somebody like your organization in their corner. Um, Absolutely. You, you've got the uh, Walk in My Shoes uh, program. Uh, can oh. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That sounds a little bit like what you're kind of what you're talking about there. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's exactly what it's all about. Um, it's about walking the journey with them. Um, now we're we're a not for profit charity. Um, the majority of our work is all uh, funded by charitable donations from, from very generous people in South Australia. Um, so we, we have to raise funds and uh, each year in the first week of August, um, which is National Homelessness Week, um, we run an event called Walk a Mile in My Boots. Uh, and the idea is for, for, for people uh, to just walk a mile and gain sponsorship uh, for walking that mile. Uh, some people might want to walk six miles or 12 miles or whatever number of miles they want to walk. But it is a fundraising event for us because um, uh, running a place like Hot Street, Hot Street is an a cheap uh, endeavour. In fact, uh, you know, just to run our wellbeing centre is, is about $3 million a year that we have to raise through fundraising. And... Um, the, the premier event is our Walk a Mile in My Boots fundraiser. Wow, um, that's uh, that, that sounds really neat. If you can, you tell us about how many people are working at Hut Street, and and then if you could talk to us about uh, how people can help Hut Street, either as a volunteer or perhaps monetarily. The most important numbers are the number of clients we service. Mm. Um, so we have 850 unique clients come and, and access our services in the Hutt Street Centre each month. Wow. Now, now, the important statistics are of that 850 each month, uh, approximately 115 are new clients, clients we've never seen before and are not within the homelessness system. Uh, and that's, to me, the, the, the concerning statistic. You know, every month, 100 people new, uh, are new to homelessness. Um, quite concerning at the moment is of that 115 new clients each year, each month, I should say, um, uh, 35% are female. Mm. Now, we've never seen that proportion of uh, females before, and, and that's... Uh, you know, maybe a sign of, of the times. To support them, um, we have 56 uh, full-time staff who are either uh, permanent, casual or part-time um, working uh, in the centre and they do both 
the most important thing, asset we have and the only reason we can do what we can do is that we have 330 very, very dedicated volunteers who are every day, six days a week, are there uh, supporting, uh, giving, uh, supporting the provision of meals, uh, of laundry, of material. And these are generous people who just give their own time each each day and come in and help us out um, in in everything we do, be it um, providing that identification support. Um, we have a creativity hub where we can do do our work. We have volunteers coming there, um, but the volunteers uh, are just are just magic to me. You know, those people who just give up their time every day and come in and support us, it's just tremendous. Mm. Well, in the, in the two minutes that we have left uh, here, Chris, if you could tell us, uh, you know, what you want people to carry away the most from our time here today, uh, I'd like you to do that. Sure. Um, any one of us could be homeless tomorrow. Uh, and any one of us could be walking through the front door of Hutt Street Centre. Um, and the best way to help people who are experiencing homelessness is to allow them to have a community uh, that, that they can be part of. And the only way they can be part of a community is if the community wraps around uh, the most vulnerable people in our society. Um, so any support we can get from the community, be it in the way of donations material, be it in the way of donations of funding or offering to volunteer at the service, um, any way you can help a person uh, who's experiencing homelessness uh, is a positive for our whole society and it makes us a better nation for it. And a lot of people ask me, you know, oh, I see this homeless person on the street you know, I don't know, should I give them money or should I give them a food voucher? You know what the first thing you should do to a person who's, who's sitting there? They're lonely. They don't want to be sitting on the street. Go up and have a chat with them. Mm. Make them feel as if someone cares about them and that there's a community that, 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 that thinks of them and supports them. So it's all about community, Matt. It's all about us all wrapping around. This, this isn't a purely government problem. Uh, this isn't a purely money problem. This is about us as a community. So it sounds like the real key is just like our mama told us, uh, humanity, you know, love one yeah. another. Absolutely. Well, I want, I want to thank uh, Ron Fiedler today for paneling for us. And, of course, I want to thank you, Chris uh, Burns, for being here with us today from Hutt Street Center. I mean, Pleasure. just a fabulous uh, talk we've had today. I wish we had more time. Uh, you guys, anybody listening can learn more about the Hutt Street Center on their website. Most of all, though, I want to thank everybody for listening. Please tune in next week, Monday at 6 p.m. for Change the World with Matt McQuinley on 87.6 FM Radio Italia Uno. And as always, I'll leave you with a brief inspirational message. This inspirational message is brought to you by Save-A-Lot Beds. Visit their showroom at 634 Port Road in Beverly or call them on 1-300-791919. You deserve a good night's sleep. I want to tell you a story that I heard over 30 years ago. I heard it from the great motivational speaker Zig Ziglar. 
Zig talks about one of his close friends from Winnipeg, Canada, who was so happy because he finally had a son. He and his wife were thrilled because with their two daughters, they felt now that their family was complete. But in just a few days, they began to worry. You see, their son David's head was rolling to one side, and he was drooling too much. They took him to their doctor, who said everything was fine. He'd grow out of it. About six months later, they took him to another doctor. This doctor diagnosed him with the reverse of club's feet. A while later, they took him to yet another doctor who diagnosed him with cerebral palsy. The doctor sat him down and said, Bernie, your son has cerebral palsy. He will never walk, talk, feed himself, count to 10, read, or take care of himself in any way. You should put him in an institution for the, quote, good of the normal members of the family, unquote. Well, Bernie couldn't buy into that and refused to believe that this was his son's future. He asked for a referral to get a second opinion. The doctor got very angry and offended and threw him out of the office. He went to another doctor and this doctor told him, your son has cerebral palsy. He'll never walk, talk, feed himself, count to 10, read or take care of himself in any way. You should put him in an institution for the good of the normal members of the family. He went to a third doctor and was told his son has cerebral palsy. He'll never walk, talk, feed himself, count to 10, read, or take care of himself in any way. You should put him in an institution for the good of the other members of the family. He went to a fourth doctor. Guess what? Same thing. Went to a fifth doctor and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth and a ninth. He went to 30 doctors and was told the same thing over and over and over again. And then he heard about a Dr. Pearlstein in my hometown of Chicago. He was the world's foremost authority on cerebral palsy at the time. He was booked out two years in advance. Well, Bernie was a salesperson and was somehow able to convince the staff to give him the doctor's home phone number. He then convinced the doctor to offer his son David an appointment the first time he had a cancellation. 11 days later, a little boy from Australia canceled. They flew to Chicago and they tested this boy in every way imaginable. The testing went on and on and on. Finally, Dr. Pearlstein sat him and his wife down and said, Bernie, your son has cerebral palsy. He'll never walk talk, feed himself, count to 10, read or take care of himself in any way. You should put him in an institution for the good of the normal members of the family. And then he said, if you listen to the prophets of doom. I have some new therapies that I've had some success with, but you'll have to be committed beyond what you believe right now is possible. You will have to push your boy until he collapses, pick him up, and push him some more. There will be months, perhaps even years, where you will see absolutely no progress. And if you stop, you will start from zero all over again. You have to understand, this is not a short-term therapy. This is not a one-year-long treatment regime. This is not a five-year treatment regime. This is a from-now-on-forever commitment. To their credit, not only did David Lopchik's parents agree, 
which is the easy part, they actually followed through. They hired a physical trainer and a physiotherapist and built a small gym in their home. They worked with David until he collapsed and then worked him some more. After close to one year, David was able to move about one body length. After about three years, Bernie got a call in his office. The physical fitness trainer told him that Bernie, I think David's ready. David's mother, father, two sisters, physical trainer, and physiotherapist all gathered around to watch David drenched in sweat by the time he was through finishing one single push-up. In 1971, by the age of 13 at his bar mitzvah, David Lopchik was doing 1,100 push-ups a day. He was running 10 kilometers a day. And since he was Canadian, he had to play ice hockey. He was a starter on the team. And not long after he spent an entire winter learning how to stand up on the ice and skates. At 13, he was doing very well in ninth grade math while he was in seventh grade. And he got a $100,000 life insurance policy with no restrictions. By the time he was 29, he was incredibly fit, had a successful sales career, and was a proud father and husband. What do we learn from the Lopchecks? Well, many things. First is the importance of loved ones who believe in us and support us no matter what who force us to do the hard things when we are begging them to let us give up and stop because they know that the short-term pain is not as important as our long-term happiness. We also learn to not listen to the prophets of doom. Rather, we learn to believe that with enough effort, things can get better. And I'm personally reminded by David Lopchek and his family to be thankful for all the challenges I've had in my life both physically and financially because I know I would not have had the success I had in athletics, academics, and business if I didn't feel that I would have had something to prove and overcome just like he did. But most of all, we learn that there are two types of people in the world. The ones who will listen to the prophets of doom, who will believe that since they are at a disadvantage, they can't achieve, that they can't be happy, that there is no use in trying, and then there's the kind of person who does believe they can succeed, regardless of the obstacle, who will try, who will not listen to the prophets of doom, and will accomplish other things that people thought could not be done. The question is, as always, which one are you? This inspirational message was brought to you by Save-A-Lot Beds. Save-A-Lot Beds at 634 Port Road in Beverly. Call them on 1-300-791919 or visit them in their showroom.